Good morning, everyone. I know it's early, maybe. So um, welcome. So I'm here. I'm Elliot Horowitz. I am the CTO and co-founder of MongoDB. And this is my friend, Dor. We're going to be uh, having a little fun today. So we're going to do a bunch of stuff, including uh, building a serverless, face-recognizing IoT security system with Amazon recognition and MongoDB Stitch. And that's a mouthful. So thank you all for coming to this talk with the mouthful. So what are we going to talk about this morning? So first, we're going to talk a little bit about why serverless, why are we trying to get rid of application servers, uh, about a little bit about Stitch, which is a different kind of backend as a service. Then we're going to do four different demos. Uh, the first one will be adding a feature to an existing app. The second will be looking at how sort of uh, the rules in MongoDB Stitch work. The third will be connecting these things to services and functions. And the fourth will be the door. So let's get started. So why are we trying to get rid of app servers? Why is serverless a thing? Right? This is the serverless track. Serverless is a pretty big buzzword. And really, what serverless is to me is all about making it easier for developers to build applications. Right? That has been the goal of almost every tech, you know, developer-focused company for a long time. And MongoDB has always been trying to focus on that. Right? At the heart of MongoDB is we are trying to make it easier for developers to work with data. MongoDB Stitch is an extension of that. And the whole serverless paradigm is really about how do we make it easier for developers to build interesting applications and let them focus on building what they need to do, not on building infrastructure. So in a perfect world, you know, sorry, if you have application servers, why do you need them? Well, in a perfect world, it'd be really cool if your, if your applications, whether it's a mobile application or a web application, could talk directly to a database, right? If you're just running Mongo and you just have your phone, it connects to Mongo and that's awesome. And everyone's like, okay, that's impossible. Right, and why is it impossible? Well, one, databases aren't meant to be talked to from phones, because there's all sorts of security issues, there's networking issues, there's a million issues that we don't need to go into. So that isn't what happens. So people build application servers. So every traditional application for the last you know, 15 years or so tends to look like this. Right? You've got a database, you've got some application server, and then you've got your you know, application. Right? This is pretty traditional. So what has started to happen? Well, the first thing that started to happen is that um, two, so, so, sorry. So what is the first thing that's happened? So one, in the last 10 years, things have changed quite a bit. So the first thing is that there's two things on this page that are new. So one is phone, mobile. So 10 years ago is when the iPhone came out, right, 2007. So in 2007, no one was thinking about building applications for mobile devices. It just wasn't a thing. Everything was sort of web-based or full application-based. The other thing that's happened is IoT. Right? IoT has become a pretty new thing. Uh, there's lots of devices out there. Everyone's either got a Fitbit or something in their house that's wired or has connectivity. There's something going on with that. And third, browsers now are first-class application citizens. Right? A lot of applications these days are JavaScript applications in browsers. So between mobile devices, JavaScript, the devices have completely changed in the last 10 years. So what else has changed? So services. So 10 years ago, actually, I think 11 years ago, I had to build a service, two services. One was for people uploading images. Actually, we were actually scraping images. We were dealing with like a billion images a day. And we had to create four different thumbnails for each image and do things. So what did we do? Well, we bought some Linux servers. We physically racked them in a data center. We put some Python scripts around some image magic stuff, and we built an image scaling service and thumbnailing service. We did the same thing for users uploading video. 
right? Well, actually, Amazon just came out with a service for doing that yesterday. So anything like that, whether it's image thumbnailing, sending text messages, dealing with video, video encoding, there's pretty much a service out there for everything you could possibly want to do, right? So here's a bunch of you know, ones that a lot of you probably are using. So the, what you have to do on the application on the back end is now pretty different than what you did 10 years ago. So what else? So the other thing that's happened is because of the modern era, right, scalability, geo, you know, um, geo requirements have really sort of gone up quite a bit. Right? Every application wants to be able to scale very rapidly. You want to be able to scale easily and relatively cost-effectively. And sort of geolocation, geo-redundancy, however you want to think about it, is more important than ever. So this is for a few reasons. One is you don't want latency. Right? Users around the world expect applications to work fast no matter what. Right? I've talked to too many people who are in Sydney who are like, you know what, Sydney's always a second-class citizen because all these startups are in the United States and all the data is there and I've got to take 300 milliseconds to go do anything. So it would be great if you could actually keep data where it is. Right? And the cloud computing is great for that. And also with data governance, right, more and more data has to live in certain places. Right? You have to have data that lives in certain countries. For example, if you want to keep European data for any sort of user-based European data, it has to stay in the EU. In Germany, you actually have to keep certain data living in Germany. I think Japan's moving in the same direction. And I think this is going to be the beginning of a trend. So you have to have things that can sort of understand geography for a number of reasons, and scale horizontally at the same time. So we looked at our beginning application before. So how is it changing? All right, so the first thing that's changing is the state. Right, so the application servers, you know, 15 years ago actually had state. Right, anyone here remember when you actually stored sessions in memory in JVMs? Right, that was pretty, like, cutting edge in 2000. Now you would never do that. Right, state is either in the database or in the application, in the browser or in the phone. Second, a lot of the things that are built, that used to be built into sort of a monolithic app server are now being broken out of services. So whether it's sort of storing images and dealing with image rendering, um, email, right, that's always, you know, separate now, sign-on, right? So many applications are now using single sign-on with something like, you know, using Amazon OAuth or any sort of OAuth or Auth0, um, queues, payments, right, anything like that, sending text messages, there are services for everything. So what you're left with is an API to do CRUD, right? Some sort of an API so your phone can talk to you to get data, to insert data, to work with data. A security access control validation layer so users can only see the data they're allowed to see, so users can't break your system, um, so you can do sort of any sort of privacy that you care about, so you need that. And you need a way to integrate services. Right, you've got all these services, right? A typical application is gonna have you know, a dozen services or more. And you've got to be able to integrate them easily. And that's what tends to be in application servers today. So how do they happen? Or how do you, what are you doing? Well, this is nothing that interesting, right? You know, no, it's going to be some sort of custom node, Python, Rails app, you know, maybe even sort of a, a serverless thing. Uh, lots of boilerplate code. Error handling, retry logic, you know, validation, security, all that kind of stuff. And then do-it-yourself security, right? Hand-rolled security things around who can access what for every API call you have to do. If you want to expose a new kind of thing, it's going to be a new API call. That API call is going to have some security rules, some privacy stuff, and you've got to think about it, and hopefully you can't get, hopefully you don't get it wrong. So a number of things are happening in this space. Um, lots of things in the serverless space, backend as a service space, mobile backend as a service, platform as a service space, but they all sort of have similar kinds of problems. So in a lot of them, you can't get at your data. Right? The data is part of, this, of the silo. And if you want to get access to the data, you have to go through a certain API. 
And if that API doesn't have exactly what you need, you're a little stuck. Problem number one. Problem number two is you can't use other services in many cases. Right? You're sort of locked into that ecosystem. And third is you're locked in. You're either locked into a certain vendor, you're locked into the cloud, maybe you want to switch vendors, maybe you want to go on-premises for some reason. So you need something different. And so MongoDB Stitch is, is a different approach to the same kind of a thing. So the fir at, you know, first and foremost, MongoDB Stitch is a REST API for MongoDB. And this sounds like there's been, always been REST APIs for databases, but the reason why it's a REST API for MongoDB and that it's interesting is the second thing. So configuration, privacy, security is all built into that layer. So you can actually have data sitting in Mongo, have your phone basically talking directly to this REST API, and through some very simple rules, declare who can see what and do things, but still actually have the full power of MongoDB. Right? You don't have a sort of a, a weak version of it or a you know, watered-down version where you can't do things. You can actually do everything you'd want to do. And we'll sort of show how that works a little bit later. And that's sort of the key. And it's great, because you can use it for building a new application, or you can use it for you've got existing data sitting in MongoDB, and you just want to expose it. Uh, third, it's service composition. Right? So if you want to combine MongoDB, and Twilio, and Slack, and S3, and SQS, and recognition, you can do that in this layer. And you can orchestrate it there. It'll handle failure. It'll handle, handle failover. It'll make sure things are actually happening. So that's pretty important. And third, it runs anywhere you want. So it's on, it's, it's on Amazon. You'll be able to run it on-premises. You'll be able to run it in any cloud you want. So anywhere you want it, you can use it. And it'll be fully, fully scaled in Geo, so you can run it in any, in any place. And because of MongoDB's features where you can do things like put different data in different locations, all that's just right on top of it. So if you want to have data sitting in Sydney and sitting in Germany and sitting in the US and have it based on what, where the user lives or where their user is from, you can do that, and it all is just completely seamless on top of MongoDB, and Stitch just lets you do that without having to do sort of any extra work. So how does this thing work? So this is what it looks like. So you've got something like Mon you've got MongoDB Stitch in the middle. So you've got your phone or your browser, and that's talking directly to Stitch, right? It's over HTTP. Stitch will talk to MongoDB, like MongoDB Atlas. Um, and if you want to do a query from your phone, so the query goes through MongoDB Stitch to Atlas and then back through that way. But the great thing is that Stitch is just a layer on top of Mongo, right? You don't have to use it. So if you've got an existing application with already a driver, you, know, so you can just have Stitch use it for some things. If you, are, if you start off using Stitch and you want to connect via the shell, via a BI tool, or via a regular driver, you just do it, right? It's just another way to access the data. It doesn't sort of take over your entire application. So if you're using Stitch and you want to connect uh, Tableau or some other reporting tool, you can just do it. If you want to connect to the shell to test things, you just do it. It's very simple. And then Stitch will reach out to the other services that you need. So whether it's S3 or Twilio, Stitch will do that for you. Right, so from your phone, from your web application, all you have to worry about is talking to Stitch and everything else will be taken care of for you. So how do you deploy it? Right, so today it's tightly coupled to MongoDB Atlas. So basically you create an Atlas cluster and you go ahead and um, connect Stitch to it. You create a Stitch application. Over time, well, you do it on-premises in any cloud you want. Um, it's very elastic, pay as you go, so you basically pay for the amount you use it. Um, it's very cost-effective. And it's, because it's based on top of MongoDB Atlas, it's fully elastic. So whatever sorts of things you want to have, um, you know, anywhere from a free tier, it's a free tier in MongoDB Atlas and a free tier in MongoDB Stitch. 
So however far you want to go, you can make that happen. Um, so very easy to get started, and then you can scale up as you need. All very simple. So I mentioned four use cases, four ways to think about Stitch. So the first is I've got an existing application, and I want to add a feature. All right, so I've got an application, maybe it's using Mongo, maybe it's not, and all I want to do is add one feature. Well, it's very easy to do with Stitch, and I'll show you how that works. Um, second is I've got data sitting in MongoDB already. Right, I've got an existing MongoDB app, it's in production, and what I want to do is expose that data through an API. Right, I would like my users to be able to view their own data or look at their own data. And rather than building a custom API for that, I'd like to use this. Maybe I'd like to open it up to partners and build sort of an ecosystem where other partners can access the data. I can do that via MongoDB Stitch. Um, maybe I want to integrate with services. Or maybe what I want to do is I really want people to be able to text message things to my application or have my application send text messages and get responses and do things with that. And that's all I want to do right now. I can do that with MongoDB Stitch. And of course, I can go ahead and build a full application. And you know, I'm just going to build a new application and I'm going to do that on Stitch and that works just fine. So that's the basics. Um, now the interesting thing is that it's actually a lot of things, right? It's, you know, only took 15 minutes, but it actually is a, encompasses quite a bit of stuff. And so uh, the reason why there's a door on stage is we find the absolute best way to sort of get a feel for how this thing all works is to actually just sort of walk through it and show you how all this gets put together. So we're going to walk through four different demos and, um, and show you how Stitch works. So the first thing we're going to do is adding a feature to an existing application. So what we're going to do is we're going to create a Stitch application. Then we're going to enable anonymous auth. Uh, we're going to do, we're going to do, do a bunch of CRUD operations. So let's get started. All right. Press this button. Great. So here is my blog. It's a really high-end blog. Um, I hope you all read it every day. And so with this blog, and the HTML for this blog is also quite simple. So what we want to do is add commenting. Right, pretty typical app, uh, blog feature. We like to be able to add comments to it. This is static HTML, right? So maybe I'm using a HTML, a static HTML blog generator, and all I want to do is add commenting to this blog. All right, so how do we do it? So let's get started. So first, we're going to start a new one. So we've got a MongoDB cluster, right? So here we've got an M10, and so let's say you're going to create a new Stitch app. I'm not going to do that one live. So you can just create a new Stitch application. Uh, we've got one already created, but you can just create any Stitch app you want. So we've got this one over here. So now we've got a Stitch application. And it's pretty simple. So we turn anonymous authentication on. And then we're just going to go and take this boilerplate code over here, just loading the Stitch library and connecting to a database. We'll put that over here. All right, so. Great, so now we're gonna add comments. So first, let's write some HTML to sort of get this all settled. So we're gonna put a, a div where we're actually, our comments are going to go dynamically. Um, then we're going to actually create a text box where you're gonna put the new comment in. Then we're going to create a button that does something, and when you click it, we'll actually go and add a comment. 
So now we need to actually write some code. So when the page loads, we'll create something like a, okay, great. So what do we got to do? So first let's write this. So first we're gonna log in. So you always have to log into Stitch. So right now we turned on anonymous auth, but you can use anything. So you can use, for example, um, Google or Facebook or custom or it has its own sort of username and password thing. Probably not the most recommended way to do it. You can connect to sort of anything that speaks OAuth. So as long as you have some sort of OAuth provider, we're also going to add support for SAML. So anything that you can, anything you speak SAML to will work. So pretty much any sort of external auth system you can use or something very custom. So we're just going to do anonymous for now. So after we log in, we're going to display our comments. So now we actually need to write this function to display comments. So this is where it gets fun. So we're going to take our database and we're going to get a collection called comments. Now the cool thing here is that basically what we're doing is it looks like we're writing regular MongoDB driver code. Right? This isn't the weird Stitch API. This isn't a weird query language. This is just sort of standard vanilla Mongo. So we're going to take this thing. We're going to write a, Mo a regular MongoDB query um, just like this. It's just a totally vanilla MongoDB query. Uh, then we're going to execute it. And then after that, we're going to take our docs and we're going to write some very old school HTML. If I knew anything about React, I would use it, but I don't. Um, and we're just going to shove this in a div because that's just easy. And then we'll just shove this into Great. And now, we, of course, we need to write the function to actually go and um, add the comment. So again, this is going to look like very much like regular MongoDB code. Insert. Now, we're going to uh, create an owner ID in this document, which we'll explain a little bit later. But for now, just accept it. And after we insert, we'll display comments again. And I'll set this back to blank so we can. Great. Hopefully, this works. Just for fun. So what's happening over here? Oh. All right. Um, that is something wrong. Let's switch over to this one. Um, give me 10 seconds. I know why that one's failing.
Sorry? Oh. Thank you. All right. Look at that, live debugging. All right. So, lots of my playing around. Um, but it's working now. Thank you. Okay. So, there we have it. Pretty simple. Now this is pretty, this is pretty basic. You can, but you can actually sort of see how it works. You can put anything you want in here. So let's say you wanted to have the URL, have a URL in here. You could put something like this, you know, URL equals foo. And then make this query URL foo. We're not going to go do this, but you could, you know, you can totally imagine how this works. Um, and then you can go see this in the Mongo shell, right? So you can just go and connect to Mongo. And it's all just, looks like regular MongoDB documents, and I can go and do things, and it's just sort of pretty simple. So, pretty straightforward um, to get started. So what we did, right, so, you know, we connected to Stitch. Um, this is a regular JavaScript API. You can view it via the web, via Node, anything you want. Um, regular query to find documents, and then we went and inserted documents. All right, pretty straightforward. Uh, you can do it sort of whatever you want there. So next, we're going to look at rules. So in rules is how MongoDB Stitch in, you know, ensures privacy and all those things. So let's look at sort of define some relatively sophisticated control rules and then do some validation. Um, validation of documents and actually go and test how this, go see how this actually works. So the one thing that I did before for that other demo was I set something up over here in comments. And what I did is set up some rules. So let's go see what that looks like. So we're going to switch applications now. We're going to go to a new one. And here, uh, you can see the MongoDB service. And we've got uh, this thing. And we're just going to go and uh, we'll, we'll save that one for later. So. We're going to go start just playing with some data. And so a cool thing about Stitch is because it's JavaScript, because it's web-based, you can actually use the console to do interesting things. So we're just going to create a new file over here. We're going to take our getting little started snippet over here. And just put this all right here. Okay. Call this rules. Just to make this easier, we'll make a collection. Collection uh, fun. Okay. So let's just go through. So now the cool thing we can do is we can just go and take the console and just start playing with it. So first we're going to log in. Um, and so now we can actually see if we're logged in because we'll have an ID. Okay, so that's our ID. And so now we're going to go and try to look at our collection. Uh, we're going to find everything, execute it, and then log it. Okay, 
So what you'll see here is actually an error. And so what this is saying is that there is no rule for namespace rules.fun. So by default, when you're using Stitch, every collection that you haven't explicitly allowed access to is private, right? You just can't see it. So let's go actually give some access to that. So we're gonna go and create a new collection. So the database is rule. This is, you know, the, and the collection is foo. All right, so now we can go do this query again. And, um, no, it's not foo, it's fun. Okay. There we go. Oh, but there's, um, there's no data, obviously. So let's go and insert some data. So we're gonna go over here to the Mongo shell. Use rules db.fun.insert. Okay. So now we should see that document, um, and yet we don't. So the reason why we don't is that default rules in Stitch are like this. So there's two concepts. One is a filter. So the filter in Stitch says it's a set of predicates. So here's a predicate on the left. This one's just true all the time. So whenever, th whenever this predicate is true, apply this rule. And this rule says that the only documents where the owner ID matches the user ID of the person are going to be valid, right? So meaning that you just, you know, they're just completely hidden to the user. So that's why this user can't see that document. Okay, well that makes sense. So let's just go and fix that. So here's our ID. So let's just go and db.fun.find. And now let's go and update that. Let's just insert a new document. Let's say owner ID. Yeah, I'll set this to six. So now we can see all of our documents. And now when we execute this, um, you get nothing because, thank you. Um, we've got a little document, and here it is. And we only see the, we only see the do document where the owner ID matches, right? We don't see x equals five. So for some other things, we're just gonna write a little function to help us display some stuff. Docs, docs dot for each, um, let's say. Okay, so that's pretty simple. So now we can go insert another document. We'll see this. And then we'll change, we'll put a other one, we'll change that to a D to an E, and what we'll only see is the two documents of the owner ID matches. So that's pretty, that's pretty nice, that's pretty, that's pretty simple. But now let's say we want to go more complicated. So let's say that what we want to do is actually have certain fields that are private and certain fields that are not. Right, this user is allowed to see, not allowed to see everything. And so then we can go into field rules. So right now, at the top level document, we just say if the owner ID matches, they can read any field and write any field. So we're gonna get rid of that. We're just gonna sort of completely ignore that. Um, and just to show you what that looks like, we'll actually come over here. Um, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn on this thing called all other fields. 
So all other fields basically mean if a, other fee, if a field isn't specified, you're allowed to see it. So we're going to set that as sort of the default. So we're going to go over here. Uh, we're actually going to turn this off. And then turn this on, put this here, put this here. And the owner ID is the same. Okay, great. Um, and actually, there's one more thing we want to do. So then what we're going to do is, for the owner ID, you can only change it or see it if you are the owner. So this, semantically, is the same thing. So let's walk through that one more time. So the top-level document, we're saying nothing. There's no rules here. For any field not specifically listed, you get to see it if you're the owner of the document. And just for you know, you can actually do other things in here. You can do like data.email address. So if you're using Google, you can say something like, hey, if my email address matches this, based on Google, I can see it, or in a list of things, sort of relatively interesting stuff. Um, and the owner ID is that. Okay, so that's where we are. So now what we're going to do is add a private field. So let's insert a new document. Actually, let's just, yeah, so it's a new document. And we're going to say private three. Okay. Uh, so now it's here, right? Oops, this is the wrong. Okay, so now we want to get rid of that. So that's great. So we're going to come back over here. We're going to add something called private. And we are going to say false. Now it's gone. So what does that mean? So that means that I can't see it. I can't do a query on it. So before, like, so I can't do a, a query saying, show me only things where private is something, because it's just, I can't even do that predicate. I can't do anything. It's as, if it, it's, it's as if completely the field didn't exist. Okay, so that's a good start. Now let's say we have another field that we want to be public, or maybe it's stats, right? So maybe, I'm not allowed to see other information, but everyone's allowed to see sort of stats about things. So stats here are 17. Okay, so now as we saw before, uh, it should show up just fine. There it is. Now, what I want to do is, let's say I'm a different user. So I'm going to log in in a different thing over here. Pull up the console. Um, I'm going to log in. And what you'll see is I have a different ID. Okay, so this is a different user than this. Uh, it's anonymous auth. When you're anonymous, like every time you, a new, every new browser session is going to get you a new user ID. If you're using Google auth or any other auth, your user ID is your user ID. But for this, we're just going to have a separate one. So okay, so now we're just going to copy this query, and of course, it will show me nothing um, because I can't see anything. So now we're going to change. Now we're going to change this. So what we're going to do is we're going to add a field called stats. And for stats, we're going to say no one can read it. I said no one can write it. False. But everyone can read it. Okay. So for this guy, um, away. Um, what do I do over here? Ah, oh, sorry. 
like this. So for this guy, nothing changes. But for this guy over here, um, you should be able to see it, but you can't. Let's just change this. Um, not sure what I'm doing or not. All right, let's pretend that worked for a second, because I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. Um, yes, thank you. Having an off morning. Uh, we can just delete this expression, because we actually want them to see every document. Whoever said that, thank you very much. Now, you'll obviously see this document, but the only field that you're getting back is stats, okay? So now, the, so what's cool about this is let's add another one. This one, we're gonna put 19 in here. I get that. Now, the really cool thing is that I can not just query it, but I can do a regular aggregation. So I can do a, a regular MongoDB aggregation. I'm gonna do a group. And we'll do a total sum uh, stats. So the really cool thing here is that rather than just exposing the data via a REST API, where I can like, get my data or see other stats about things and then have to do something with it, I can actually push down queries or aggregations directly into Mongo. So this is pretty nice, because one, so how many times have you had to do something where you're gonna pull JSON out of some regular REST API, only to then go put it in something, write some queries, figure out the right indexes, all those sorts of things. Well here, all the regular MongoDB indexes you have for your regular application just work. Right, so if they're doing a query, you can use indexes, it just uses indexes. You can do aggregations, they can do aggregations. And then you can put some other rules around what you can do there. Um, and, sort of, and sort of how much they can do, and you can sort of resource allocation. We'll, we'll say that for another time. But basically, it means that you can sort of expose the full power of MongoDB to your users, right? Making much more powerful APIs or making it much easier to write client-side applications, right? Because now if you're, writing a mobile, if you're writing a mobile app, you don't have to go and sort of have an API call for every different aggregation you want to do, right? You just do the aggregations on your phone and you can really decouple sort of your mobile device code with your sort of you know, middle-tier code because you can sort of do whatever you want. Um, the last thing we're going to do is have an age, uh, so we're gonna have an age. And age, what we wanna do is, what we wanna say is age has to be, um, make this one a private, a, uh, same as this. That's because I'm having an off morning, we're just gonna copy and paste a bunch of stuff. So age is private, right, so only I can see it. So if I own the root document, right, I don't want my, anyone to see my age, that's fine. Um, but the other thing I want to do is I don't want to ha allow someone to, in, you know, screw up my data, right? I don't trust some API call. So what I'm going to do is create a validation rule on that. 
And so what this is going to do is say, okay, age can, you can insert age, but it has to be a number. So let's go and try and do this. We're going to say collection.insert1 owner ID age at um, validation failed. We'll go make that an actual number. Um, now it should have inserted, and if we go and look at it, you'll see that only the one with, where it's a number is valid. And you can do relatively interesting things in here. Um, you can do things like compare it to other fields in the document. So for example, the default validation rule on owner ID says that it has to either match the previous user ID, so it has to either match the previous value, so you can't change it, or it can't, it can't have existed before, right? It has to have been null. So you can't go and reassign a document to someone else. Now you can obviously change this rule to whatever you want, but that's sort of what the rules is, st is stating. So the rules are pretty powerful. Um, there's sort of a, a quite a bit of what you can do with them. Um, and the, the entire idea is letting you very simply show off your data to everyone else, right? One of the big things that, one of the big design goals for the rules in MongoDB Stitch is a medical application. So almost every bit of medical data now is stored electronically, right? EMR is sort of the standard. Every hospital has to use EMR. But in all that, all that data is now sitting behind um, tons of firewalls, tons of rules for privacy reasons, all very good reasons. And the reason why is you, know, you don't want your private medical information being exposed to everyone. It makes perfect sense. But it'd be really great if it was easier to build those applications, and it'd be really good if you can actually do other things with your medical data. So for example, I'll, let's imagine you've got a simple medical application, and you want to have, you know, there's about five different kinds of roles in a medical application. So you've got a, a patient, right? And a patient can do things like, hey, they can see all their information, they can change where they live, they can change their phone number, but what they can't do is go and add prescriptions. A doctor can pretty much do anything they want if they're your doctor. A nurse can sort of change your vital information, but can't write prescriptions. Um, insurance agents can see like medical codes, but they can't see the actual diagnosis, things like that. And then you've got a scientist role. And the scientist role can see aggregate information, but they can't actually see anything that's sort of PII. And where we want to go, sort of with MongoDB Stitch, is all the way up to sort of differential privacy. Right? So differential privacy is this whole idea of exposing anything in aggregates a little bit dangerous. So I don't know how many of you remember the Netflix contest from about 10 years ago. And the Netflix contest basically took all the Netflix uh, movie ratings from when you actually had DVDs, gave it out anonymously, and said, hey, they took up all the user IDs and said, hey, here's all the rating data. Whoever can write a better recommendation engine wins a million dollars. So they launched this contest, about 48 hours later, the, you know, some bunch of privacy researchers started going crazy because they had been able to figure out who everyone was. Not, not everyone, but a lot of people, and how they do it. Well, they compared the, uh, the ratings from Netflix to ratings on IMDB, which are public, um, and then go from there. So let's look at even a simpler example. Let's imagine that you want to look at the average weight of people by zip code. Okay, that's fine. You're like, well, that's pretty anonymous. I can't figure out anyone's weight by that. But then let's say I move. So I move from one zip code to another. Now the, the weight in that zip, the average weight for the zip code has slightly been changed. If you know I'm the only person who moved, you can actually, and you know how many people live in that zip code, you can figure out my weight very simply. 
you, you expand on that, you get more different data, you correlate it. So it's very hard to actually expose only a very subset, you know, only data very carefully. So differential privacy is all about how you can actually expose data, you know, safely. Um, and so we want to go that far with Stitch, and you build, you know, as far as building medical applications on Stitch, so you can actually do that kind of stuff. Uh, there's actually a couple of projects we're working on now where it's, it's all about letting users get real-time access to their data, and also integrate things like Fitbit data, where you can take data from Fitbit, put it into your medical data, and sort of have it actually have a comprehensive look at what's going on. So next, let's talk about services. So services, you know, we talked about a bunch of services, and services are the way you connect to other services in Mongo, and the way you do that is with this thing called functions, and functions are JavaScript functions. So what we're gonna do here is we're gonna connect multiple third-party services, uh, we're gonna call stitch functions from your application, you're gonna call stitch functions from your application code. All right, so let's go back to our blog. Good, okay. So what we're gonna do here is, um, so I have connected Twilio to my blog, so I've got a Twilio service, and I have a function here called SMS to comment. And so what this does, this is kind of what it sounds like, it lets you text Twilio, and there's a webhook, so there's a webhook URL here, and it will, so the arguments from the webhook get passed in as args, you connect to the MongoDB service, you get the same commenting collection we had before, and you can go ahead and insert uh, comments, right? This is the body, this is the from, uh, all the extra arguments that we get from Twilio just come over here, and so um, you guys should go do this. So anyone who wants, uh, go ahead and just sort of text this number with a comment. Now, if you remember, the HTML we're using to display this was very simple. So uh, please don't do any sort of, uh, you know, nefarious things. Um, so we'll give everyone, I see a few people typing, so let's give everyone another few seconds. Your phone number may or may not be displayed on screen, so, so keep it clean. We'll know who you are. So, um, we're over here. Great, and at least a few people, you know, did this. Thank you for the. So, um, so very simple, right? So now, with you know, literally, like, this is all we. This is all we had to do. We set up the uh, Twilio connector. We put the webhook in there, and this is the function we wrote. Very simple, okay? So now let's go and do something a little bit different. So now let's go and instead of, inserting a new comment from our website uh, via a CRUD API call, let's go ahead and call a function to do it so we can do other things as well. So functions, um, here, our JavaScript. So we're gonna write a function called uh, nc for new comment, um, and we're just gonna go and write it. So if, is there JavaScript? Now these are not like writing a full application in JavaScript, they're sort of a very lightweight JavaScript. Um, it is sort of regular JavaScript, but it's sort of pretty basic. Um, and so right now we're just, this is sort of the null function, it's just returning itself. So let's just go see what it looks like, how to call it, sorry. So we are just going to, instead of this, we're going to do client dot um, execute function, and the function we called it nc, the arg was foo, um, 
and then we'll just log it. Okay. Lots of things over here. Um, so now it, oh, I need to drop the console up. Okay. Um, Nice little call stash. Uh, let's just do it from over here. So client dot execute function and see pass it five. Oop. And console.log. Um, so we just passed in. Great. So let's say we want to go add a comment called, you know, this is from here. Okay. So now let's go and actually make that work. So what we're going to do is Save that for later. So we're going to get our same collection. It was blog, comments. Um, we're going to insert something. So we're going to do collection.insert1. Um, owner ID is um, context.user.id. Comment will be the actual arg. And then everything else we can go away. Okay. Um, now you can actually test this right down here. So we can just run this function, exports, and we'll say this is from the debug console. Uh, we're going to run it as some anonymous user. Run this function. Um, great. And so now if we come back over here and refresh, um, you can see this over here. Great. So now if we go input this, if we go and input, go from over here, we'll say client.execute function. Uh, and we did that. And now we do that over here. That's weird. EBVRT. Um, what did I do? Um, Oh, well, that should work. This one works. All right, we'll just keep going with this one. We'll, we'll, we'll finish, then we'll fix it. So now let's say that every time you insert a new comment, um, we want to. Oh, that's why I did it. Okay. Um, send me a text message. A little scary, but we're going to do it anyway. So we are going to get a new service. Now we're going to get Twilio 1. This is what I called the previous service. Um, Twilio. And now we're going to say Twilio.send to um, we're not going to put my real cell phone number in here right now. Um, We'll use this dummy phone we have over here, 516-288-4590. Um, from is the f number associated with this Twilio account, so 646-374-1921. And the body is arc. Great. So now we're going to... 
do that. Now we got an error. So the error is no matching rule found. So just like with rules around data, right, because users can, you know, you're running these functions as a user, you want to be able to put rules around what actual users can actually do. So uh, we're going to quickly go and I'm not going to walk through how everything works here. I'm just going to create a new rule for the moment that lets everyone do everything. Because um, I'm a nice guy. Save that. Come back over here and run this and voila. Um, and over here, I'll show you guys a little bit later, but uh, I will get a text message. So uh, very simple, and now you can do those sorts of things. Connect services, whatever other services you want to do, you just sort of connect them. Right now, these are the services that we support, but we'll be adding a ton more over time and also making this extensible so you can add your own services. You can also just do HTTP, so anything that speaks HTTP will work just fine as well. All right. So a uh, bunch of services, you saw how those worked. So that's sort of where we were. So last, certainly not least, the door. So we're going to make a security system using Stitch and using a company called Electric Imp. Electric Imp makes these little uh, CPUs that are really great. So they are embedded in these devices over here. And what Electric Imp does is so it's an IoT company. And what they do is they've got a really nice platform. So you write code in their IDE, which I'll show you in a, in a minute or two. Um, and that code runs both on these devices and in a cloud service they have. And they handle upgrading, the, upgrading codes, upgrading operating systems, security. Right? So security in IoT is a big deal. So if you're using Electric Imp for your devices, they are constantly updating the actual firmware running on the devices. So you don't have to worry about sort of being the next story about how you can sort of see your kids on some weird camera or something. It's all handled by them. They manage the deployment. And you can connect it however you want. So we built this with them. Um, they are sort of, you know, the fastest way to get stuff into production, and this, they help build all the stuff. So the way it basically all gets plugged together, it looks like this. So you've got a actual electric imp device embedded in, it's like three of them on this, on the store, and that is connecting, talking to their cloud service. Their cloud service is calling MongoDB Stitch. MongoDB Stitch is doing all the MongoDB Stitch stuff, and this is how it all works. So we've got three different things we're going to show you. So the first one is sort of the simplest. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take an NFC card, right? this one right here, it's got my initials on it. We are going to put it against the door. When that happens, it's going to call Stitch. Stitch is going to make sure that it's a valid code. Once it has a valid code, it's going to get a phone number, sort of my phone number. That phone number will then be sent to Twilio. It's a little bit crazy just for fun. And then it will go, to, it'll get my phone number, it will send that phone number, it'll, sorry, it'll create a one-time passcode. It'll send that passcode to me um, via Twilio. I'll get that passcode, I'll input it into the door, and it will unlock. So, um, so first, okay. Oh, so then I, then I put the code into the door, it checks it against Mongo, if it's valid, it sends an unlock code to, to the thing, and then I get to go into the door. All right, so, Let's just walk through a couple things first before we actually go and do this. So this is the Electric Imp IDE. Um, so for example, up here at the top is the MongoDB Stitch library that there's now in Electric Imp. And there's a bunch of stuff here. Um, we're not going to walk through everything. But basically what you can do here is you're calling functions in Stitch. Right? So the same function we just wrote before, same way the functions, you can call those functions directly from the Electric Imp code. 
So basically from the device, you're sending stuff to, to Stitch. So then on the Stitch side, uh, we're gonna switch services again quickly. And we're gonna go look at the code for this. And so we've got a bunch of different services integrated here. So for example, um, a bunch of different functions. So NFC reader, so this is the code that gets executed when you put your NFC badge up to the thing. So that's how it works. So great, so now what we're gonna do is we're going to actually try all this. So to do that, we're going to swap that out, plug this in here. All right, so. Should work. This is wrong, clear. There we go, great. So I'm going to take my badge and I'm going to put it here. Now, I should get a text message. And we've got one second. Come on, T-Mobile, you can do it. Um, come on, T-Mobile, let's try more time. There we go. Okay, eight, two, six, two. Now this may not work because I did it twice and it may be a new code, but we're gonna try to, what was it again? Eight, eight, two, six, two. I screwed this up. Let's try it again. Eight, two, six, two, unlock. Now, eight, two, six, two, unlock. No? What did it say? Oh, it's more. Come on, door. Too many people on nine four nine four five nine. I can remember this. Nine four five nine. Great. Um, so the so the saddest part of this morning was we we had we had got the door this morning. We installed the hardware, and somehow the locking mechanism won't actually unlock. Everything's working except for that, as you can see there. But we're gonna. We're gonna keep going. All right, so that's, that's, that's test number one. Test number two. Okay, so now let's imagine that I've got a visitor, okay? I've got a visitor and they want, and they want to get access to my house. So how's this gonna work? I'm going a little fast. So they're going to text open sesame to Twilio. That will go to the admin, whoever owns the phone. They are going to take a picture of them using this camera right here, all via electric imp. That is going to then go to the admin. It's actually gonna sit, you know, sorry. It's gonna get the picture, they're gonna take the picture, they're gonna send that to the admin, the admin's gonna say yes or no. Um, if they say yes, they're gonna send a text message to the person in the door with a phone thingy and it's all gonna look great. We're gonna go really fast. And it's gonna be kind of what you saw before. Right, great. So, we are going to send a text message. We're going to send a text message. Open Sesame. And I'm going to very quickly walk over here so I can take a picture of me. And then we should get a text message any second now with my face. Don't be scared. Come on, internet. There we go. 
That's me walking away because I gave up. Um, we are going to say we're going to say yes. Sorry, open. Hopefully that works. Um, and great. Now I can go have the code it over here. Was it three one three two? Three one three two. That will work. We're going to keep going. So um, last, connecting everything together. So we're running out of time. So last, we're going to use recognition. So let's say I don't have my NFC code. I forgot it at home. I lost it. I'm get, I want to get into the office. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to be able to press a, a star on this panel. It is going to send a message all through these things to so take a picture of me. It's going to then take that picture, send it to Amazon recognition. Recognition is going to determine whether or not I am who I think that I am. Based on that, it's also going to know my cell phone number. It's going to send me, a, if I am who I say I am, it's going to send a message um, that will have a code in it, and it's going to look great. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to turn this back on. We're going to press star. We're going to wait a second. And hopefully in about three seconds, I will get a text. What? User un... Base not detected? Come on, recognition, you can do it. Try one more time. Focus. All right, I'm going to try twiddling with this a little. All right, well, it really does work. So, <laughs> so if you want to see it in action and working, um, or build it yourself, so we've got smaller versions of this in our booth over at the Venetian. You can actually go and play with it. You can try it. All the code and sample apps and schematics to actually go and build this yourself. All right, we're going to try it one more time. We're going to try it one more time. So we're going to stand farther away. Still doesn't know who I am? Try one more time, and then I'm done. Still doesn't like, still doesn't like me. All right, it's fine. So um, if you want to play with it, if you want to see it in action, um, come to the booth. We've got a couple of live demos of it there that you can actually go play with, the smaller versions of it. Um, you can check out the blog, which has full schematics, all the sample codes. So you can actually go and build this yourself. If you want to learn more about Stitch, uh, check out you know the MongoDB Stitch documentation. I'll be at the booth a lot this week. Come say hi to me, and thanks everyone for coming.